Right, um, Ian McLean. Thank you so much, Ian. Uh, I know I've just said this, but it sounds really weird saying it again for the tape, as it were. But uh, I just am jolly well, jolly grateful to you for uh, uh, having a chat with me, uh, Ian. You're, you're very welcome, Graham. Uh, it's, it's a really interesting project you're putting together here. Well, I hope so. Uh, it's make it's helping. Uh, it's a terribly selfish thing because it's helping me make sense of a lot of things and uh, reflect on things, I suppose, as much as anything else, which is why I wanted you on it, because um, theatre is kind of bang centre in my life, and uh, and I think in yours too. So I think it's interesting to explore why and what we get from it and our hopes for it and why we get stuck in in the first place. So I knew, I've known you... Um, I'm not gonna, I can't do a year count, but I've known you for for a little while now, um, over the years. So, but and mainly through Second Thoughts a Theatre Group, which you have, I would not. This is an occasion to put on record my gratitude to you. I've had many of the greatest experiences in my life in theatre, and many of those have been as a result of my being involved with Second Thoughts. So. It is with deep gratitude that I have you on this little podcast because if you hadn't begun second thoughts, those experiences wouldn't have come my way. Mm. So, do you want to chat briefly? Should we just chat briefly about the origins of it? And 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 we we can start there if you like. Yes, um, let's start there. And okay, so so I I don't want to take the credit of having started second thoughts because I didn't. Um, <clears throat> there's a common myth out there because I've been around for such a long time. Everybody thinks that I was a founder member of Second Thoughts, but Second Thoughts began uh, before I just bef just before I arrived in Stratford um, as a spin-off from the Royal Shakespeare Company's production of The Dillon in 1983, where they listed all the professional actors, and then it said at the bottom, "and the people of Stratford," and they recruited a lot of local. Um, people in Stratford, including Kevin and Estelle Hand, um, John and Jane Golby, um, Eileen Alberti, I think she was involved with it, um, and a number of other people who I'll probably be hugely embarrassed to have forgotten. Um, but that initial uh, production was sp uh, actually spawned not one but two uh, theatre groups, uh, one of which was known as the People of Stratford which was run by Charles and Ivy Calvert for many years. And Charles unfortunately died, but uh, he, he was, I think, already retired by the time he started the people of Stratford. Um, and the other was Second Thoughts. Um, and that was a kind of coming together of various members of that cast, plus a man called Alan Hawkins, who I think was also in the Dillon, and was our very first chairman. Um, and uh, Phil Trory, who, who uh, isn't around these days, but Phil and Alan um, and someone like Steve Farr, Steve Farr and his friend Frank Miles, who also sadly is no longer with us. Um, Steve um, could tell you uh, quite a lot more than I could about the origins of Second Thoughts. And they they had, as a group of people, a small group of people, they'd been working on a writing project and they spent a year trying to put together, as I understand it, a play based on the predictions of Nostradamus. 
and mm. this never quite made it to fruition. Uh, so they had second thoughts and decided to do Alan Akebourne's Confusions instead, which they performed in Binton Village Hall in mm. August of 1984, almost as the removal van for us was chugging up from Oxfordshire. Mm. And uh, I basically did what anybody does, did then in a new town, went to the local library, got the names of the local Amdram groups, because I had been involved before we came along here. And uh, I liked the look of Second Thought, so I, I joined and uh, I started, I, was, I worked on Dark of the Moon, which was the second production uh, that uh, they ever did. And uh, the rest, as they say, is history. And I've been involved with the group ever since. To me, it was like theatrically coming home. Right. It just felt right. Uh, many people in the group had a similar ethos to me. Um, they didn't want to do the usual bog standard, Whitehall farce, West End hits, that kind of thing. Uh, they wanted to do something a bit deeper, a bit more um, to, certainly interesting to me. Um, and that's very much how I got involved with it. And if you'd like, I'll, I'd like to refer to some notes I made in preparation for this. Please talk. do. Um, Please do. About why I love theatre, because I think that, yeah. that probably helps to under, understand. So, <clears throat> to me, there's, there's four things that have, um, that have sustained me through, uh, through theatre and, and that I've got out of theatre. And it is now um, almost... 53 years since I first walked onto an amateur stage as a, as a, as a 19 year old. What was the first part you played? I played the part of Sandy Tyrrell in Hay Fever, Noel Coward's <laughs> Hay Fever. <coughs> I say, do you punt? Oh, yes, a bit. Um, so. <laughs> You've still got it, Ian. Uh, You've still got it. I've still got that aging ingenue, <laughs> ju <laughs> juvenile male lead. <laughs> So I think that one of the things I, I love about theatre is whether I'm in the audience or whether I'm on stage or directing or whatever, it, it's a very immediate form, art form. It, it's, it's right there. It happens in the moment. And every night, every performance is different because even if you deliver the lines exactly the same way as you did last night, you have a different audience in. So you mm. have a different dynamic. Absolutely. Uh, and, and I find that really fascinating and, and, and uh, I love it. And when you get that real connection with the audience, mm. uh, then it really does, uh, to me, make, make the thing come alive. And it, it's, I mean, I love rehearsal. Don't get me wrong. I absolutely enjoy rehearsal. It's a joy to work with other actors and theatre makers. But um, that level of, uh, risk and, and tension and then the connection with the audience when it really works and there are just those few times when you know you absolutely know as an actor that you've got the audience right there in the palm of your hand and they are following every word um, and you also know when they're not um, but the, the, the other but the other thing about it is an audience member is that if you watch somebody who's really at the top of their game and they don't have to be a star 
you know, there could be somebody who in real life is quite ordinary and suddenly, you know, explodes on the stage. Mm. Um, I, I, I will never forget a performance by Alan Howard in Ostrovsky's The Forest right. in, the, in the old other place. Right, yes. And, yes. and I was yes. sitting three or four feet away from him and he made this speech, and it last must have lasted two or three pages, and he was just throwing that kitchen sink at Barbara Lee Hunt's character, who was playing the, the landowner. And it was such an impassioned speech, and I will never forget that experience of just mm. being so close. Mm. And, you know, that, that immediacy. So the immediacy it's, is... It's, is a big, it's un, indescribable, almost indescribable, and, and, and certainly unrepeatable. There is no other medium... Uh, electric or otherwise, that produces that uh, thrill and excitement and, and, and uh, you know, uh, it's, uh, well, I'm going to be pretentious, if I may, why we're at the habit of a lifetime. It's almost a sort of spiritual thing, you know. It's, it's heart to heart, mind to mind, soul to soul. That's what I think, you know. I, I think occasionally you get that connection with an audience um, playing live music as well, but uh, yeah, uh, <coughs> my, my standard of playing live music probably, you know, doesn't quite get to that level of spirituality. But, uh, and and there, are also, there are also moments in comedy as well. Um, uh, just, I mean, I, I, you know I directed... Um, uh, Jackie Lyons play Whisking Eggs. And there's this moment in that one act play where Jane... Directed Garth, it jolly well, if I may say. Thank Ian. you, thank you. Well, it was, it's an easy script to, to direct because it's just so well written. But the, uh, the moment when Jane Grafton's character as the vicar's wife sits on, inadvertently, accidentally sits on a vibrator and doesn't know what it is... And the look on Jane's face, and it every single night just brought the house down. So there are moments like that, and then there are you know moments when someone's playing a very chilling character, and now I'm going to make you pink because your performance of Salieri I just thought was just unbelievable, and yeah. I really you know it, it was I was in the wings as an ASM and I was just frightened. So uh, it, it was great. So you get moments like that. Uh, have, have, you, have you on stage had an experience that you were describing where you really felt the audience were with you and, uh, you know, that connection <laughs> you were talking about? And... Yeah, and the most embarrassing thing to own up to ever having been in. Uh, in 1974, in Zambia, uh, I was in a production of No Sex, Please, We're British. And, I played, the, and I played the Michael Crawford character. Did of Brian Runnicles, and I kid you not, the audience were just with me every step of the way. Uh, it's a dreadful play to own up to being part of. <laughs> let's you know, let's not judge the 1970s with the yardstick of the 2020s. Well, we say that, but Michael Crawford was an extra is an extraordinarily talented. Uh, oh gosh, yes, performer. yeah. Yeah, um, and I mean, the Frank Spencer character yes. spun off that theatre performance he did in No Sex, Please, We're British. But he, he was the most uh, athletic and uh, all the, all the mm. death-defying stunts he did yeah. were his, were him. Mm. Mm. 
Must well, he flew, he flew through a kitchen hatch during No Sex, Please, the British, but unfortunately I didn't quite have the athletic ability to match that, so I wasn't asked to do it. There's a bit at the end where he, he, he flies through a kitchen hatch and emerges from the kitchen uh, with, the, uh, with, with, with the painting of vegetables, uh, sort of broke, the canvas is broken and it's around his neck. But I, 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 I just to continue with why I love theatre. So the, yeah. immediate, the immediacy is one thing. I think the challenge is another. I, I, I love the challenge of, of, of putting something on. I, I, I think directors have to understand that they're project managers as well as creatives. And working with creatives, um, lighting designers, costume designers, stage designers, um, and the coordination of all of that effort, I really do find that extremely satisfying because it's like you're, you're leading a project and you, 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 you bring it to its fruition and all of the pieces fall together. And I think the most important thing throughout all of that is communication with the people that you're working with, whether it's cast or crew or front of house or marketing or whoever, and just bringing that all together. So there's that, that whole leadership challenge side of it. Another side for me, a huge part of it for me is, is the friendship. Mm. Um, the friends that I've made through Second Thoughts um, and, and, and other theatre companies I've been involved with, uh, the, the aforesaid no sex please we're British uh, the assistant director of that production and I spoke to each other within the last hour no we, way. Are, we are still best friends wow. this, was in, this was in Zambia Wow. And he's a New Zealander uh, but he came to this country about the same time as we came back from Zambia and the reason we became such good friends was here I was playing Brown and Runnicles, yet again, the gormless, youthful idiot. And I said, why doesn't anybody ever give me a serious part? And this quiet voice next to me in the bar says, I'll write you one. And he did. Oh, and yeah. we, yeah, and we did that play the following year. And uh, I mean, I, I, I could go on a complete riff for hours about that particular production. But it's one of those. You want to name check this this uh, person because who knows that he he may listen to what we're saying. His name is Wayne Jennings, uh, and the play he wrote was The Dancing Man, um, and it was highly controversial at the time because al although we were in Zambia in Black Africa, um, the theatre club was almost exclusively white, and right. Wayne Wayne wrote this play for a multiracial cast. Wow. And uh, that caused all sorts of consternation. Uh, but we won through in the end. Wow. And then I think there's another strand to why I love theatre, and that's the community aspect of it. Because I, I have some issue with people who say, oh, I only want to cast the best people. Because I think sometimes there are people around who aren't necessarily uh, the, the, the strongest actors or who perhaps have some physical or mental impairment, um, but can still, and, and can almost use theatre as a kind of therapy. Um, we have, from time to time, we, it's not something you make a fetish of, but we, we have, from time to time, had people in the company who have um, 
had some severe problems, but we've been able to get them on stage and do things. And it, it's given them confidence um, and it's given them a, a sense of self-esteem, which life generally hadn't been dealing with them. And I don't want to make this out to be too altruistic, but it is a nice, it is more than a nice thing. It's a vital thing that we do. Mm. And of course, we also have a local audience. We have the following <coughs> people who, who like coming to see our shows. And again, if that gives people satisfaction, a good night out uh, for a, a very, very reasonable cost, um, then, you know, I, I think we, 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 we fit into that mold. We're not the only community theatre company in, in town. So, you know, that's kind of why I love theatre. Um, and in a sense, what Second Thoughts particularly has, has done for me. Um, it's been tremendous, really has. Now, you uh, have just, how long is it since you stepped down from being chair of Second Thoughts? Uh, the, the second time. <laughs> uh, oh, yes. It's, uh, it's been about 18 months. And how long in total have you had the chairperson's responsibility? 10 years. 10 years. Mm. Two shifts of five years each. I mean, that's a sort of practical testament to what you just said, isn't it? Because as well as a very busy work life, um, project managing the entire operation of Second Thoughts is no mean uh, feet. Um, and would you say that's big, uh, that's, that's, I mean, it's a labor of love clearly. Um, but that is because you are so committed to everything you've just said, I suppose. Yeah, I think there's a direct connection there. I also think it's very important to stress. We have some very, very able officers, uh, within the group and I have been, um, fantastically well supported, um, pretty much the whole time, the whole period, the whole of the two periods that I was the chair of the, of the group. Um, so having that behind me and also having a kind of structure, I mean, it, 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 the fact that we set our stall out from almost from day one to be a democratically run group by its members, mm. the fact that we have never appointed a a, a, a standing committee to run the group. Um, we've had subcommittees uh, or working parties or call them what you will to, to make things happen. But the overall management of the group has always been a Democrat. And, and these monthly planning meetings that we have, I, I find them so valuable just to, to connect with other people. And also the fact that any member, however long they've been, uh, a member of Second Thoughts can come along, have their say, ask questions, make, propose ideas. And I think that keeps the, the group alive and, and young. Um, so, and I think we've had this kind of continual organic growth. We've never sort of said, well, I mean, I think it, it's pretty obvious that we're not a musical theatre company, but then we've got Stratford Musical Theatre Company who do that. And it's pretty obvious we're not a pantomime company because Phoenix players do their pantomimes so well and involve lots of kids in them. And, and I think that's absolutely great. Um, but we, you know, we, we, the, the things that we set out to do, you know, I think we set out to do them 
well, but we also set out to do them so that we can stay open to new ideas. And I, I hope that's worked. Um, do you think that, that there is a link? I haven't thought about this until you, you, you described the kind of uh, uh, way the group operates. Um, do you think there's a link between that, you know, that kind of democratic uh, openness and the many uh, innovations that the group's been part of and is still part of, you know, that with the, like the new writing and, and, and performing in an unexpected and smaller venues as well as the larger venues, outdoors, indoors. Is there a, because one could say that would be really hard to pull off without there being, as you say, a sort of standing committee to work out what, what's likely to work and where it's likely to work. It's, and there's been none of that. And yet there's been this flowering of, you know, innovation. Well, I think it's possibly because of the openness of the structure that allows people to come forward with ideas. Um, and I think there's been overall a willingness amongst the group to embrace some of those new ideas. And I mean, you know, we, we referred to uh, the production of Amadeus a little while back in this conversation, which took place in the Swan Theatre. We also did uh, Toad of Toad Hall a couple of years later in the other place. Um, we've performed on the street. We've performed in village halls. We've performed at what, the Civic Hall slash Arts House slash Playhouse. Um, we've been to Edinburgh. Yes, we did. We took the Golden Pathway Annual to the Edinburgh Festival. Um, and the only reason I think we haven't repeated that is because it's a very, very expensive exercise to take a play to Edinburgh and you get very little back in box office because there's so much competition. But and the Germany, Germany, don't get Germany. And Germany, yes, Meinigen, that's right, yes. So, I mean, a lot of these have been one-offs. Um, and we were, But we've also, of course, performed several times in the gardens of Halls Croft, um, and we've also performed in uh, the Great Garden of New Place at least once. I know that because the back of, of the Alveston Manor. So back of the Alveston Manor, yeah, um, and, and even the the Scout Hut in Broad Street. Uh, <laughs> I remember directing a production of Harold Pinter's *The Dumb Waiter* in 1986 Did you? Did you? with Brian Emony playing Gus, uh, and who is it? Daniel Cole directed a play called *The Doc Brief*. Uh, with Kevin Hand and John Golby. Um, John was the prisoner and Kevin was the doc brief. Um, and it's the very... dance studios now is, is it where it were? Is it? Is it on no, the... it's ne it was next door to the dance studio. It wasn't the Hadland dance studio. It wasn't oh, right. right. And of course, Binton Village Hall, which was our very first production, which holds about 15 in the audience. <laughs> it was, I mean, I wasn't there, but... Uh, there's a corridor leading to the loos and the lighting, uh, whoever was operating the lighting was sitting there with a, a lighting desk on his knee, having to sort yeah. of lean across as people made their way to the loo. So it, you know, it, 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 and I think the adaptation, um, we've occasionally performed at Shakespeare's birthday celebrations. Uh, we've, and, and, you know, I, I can just, there's just so many great memories, but also so much variety and, and, the fact that, you know, I'd, I'd like to think people can still come to it. And of course, we've also participated in the Lighthorn Festival of One Act Plays mm -hmm. 
for quite a number of years now. Um, and I think, I think with Lighthorn, my attitude is always we should go to Lighthorn in order to enjoy being part of the festival. I think if you go there determined to win the festivals, I'm going to oh, win yeah. this, then yeah. I think you really are, A, setting yourself up for a big disappointment, but B, I think it skews the whole purpose of being involved with it. And the lovely thing about Lighthorn is you, you look and you learn and you see how other people yes. uh, deal with uh, the various aspects of theatre they have to deal with. Which... which um... Uh, makes me think of uh, this. This somebody was saying to me, well, not just one person, but two or three people have said to me over, over the years, "How is it that?" And it's a fairly obvious uh, thing to ask and wonder, but nevertheless, I, 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 I do still that in this town, which is obviously uh, deliciously and beautifully graced by you know the RSC and so on, and yet. Um, there is a very significant audience appetite for the range of theatre that you've just described. Yeah. Um, do you think that's the answer I give, which is not, I don't think it's very accurate, is that, is that, because um, oh, I just haven't done an analysis of the audience of the RSC, but my suspicion is that most people, uh, a very significant number of people who go to the RSC don't live here. I don't know. I, uh, I think that's fair. I mean, I, I can recall coming regularly to the RSC when we lived in Oxfordshire, and it was like a 30-mile ride up to Stratford from where we lived. Uh, and, of course, when tourism is in full flow and we haven't had to deal with COVID and things like that in normal times, the, uh, we, you know, we have a large number of hotels, rooms in B&Bs in, in Stratford, and they wouldn't be staying in business if we didn't have visitors. And a fair proportion of those visitors come and enjoy the RSC. And the RSC also quite rightly um, uh, attracts audiences from schools. Uh, so, <clears throat> you know, you've got a, a coach party of 30 or 40 kids. I mean, that's going to fill 30 or 40 seats in the auditorium. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I think there is, there, I mean, there is a local market for the RSC, but the RSC most certainly couldn't live on that alone. But it does uh, prove, doesn't it, how that passion that you began this talk with me about, the passion for theatre, is shared by a very significant proportion of the population. You know, I was thinking, for instance, when you were talking about the, the variety of theatre, how when, and you mentioned Jackie Lyons, who I must have a chat with on this thing too, because she's another person of great... Oh, you must, yeah. ...change, actually, which is what I would say you are. You're a person who's caused... Um, significant and creative change in this in this in this town, but um, and she is too. So that when she decided she must put the uh, show on about the homeless, um, the uh, streets apart, yeah, crush, and she uh, spent a blooming fortune of her own money to to hire out the um, the arts house and then and put it on. It was packed for uh, a one-off company. Street Arts, well, not a one-off theatre company, anyway, they did a lot of music work. And there it was, packed yeah. to the rafters. People, this brings me really, because I'm kind of reaching the final five minutes, uh, really, Ian, of, 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 in terms of, and uh, I hope this isn't going to be our last chit-chat in this way, because it's helping me clarify my thoughts as much as anything else. The future, really, 
um, because we just heard today, uh, you know, if my daughter ever listens to this in the future, it was prim I primarily started doing this really so that Kira would have some, would have little time capsules to, to, to listen to in the future. And here we are on the, uh, wait a minute, what's the date? 22nd of um, September, 2020, and our prime minister, uh, I don't think he has libel lawyers uh, attuned to every backwater podcast on the interweb. But uh, I have to say, I think he's in a very difficult position. And I think the decisions he's taking today are, well, they are what they are. But primarily, it means that at least for the next six months, theatre, as we know it, um, is going to be very difficult to produce. But here's, here's where I want to go with that, uh, get your thoughts on this, is that um, I wonder whether amateur theatre uh, is because it just just for the simple fact that we don't employ people you know by and large or not in very significant numbers I know some you know obviously other theatre groups in the town do employ people and, 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 and one one's heart goes out to anybody in that position with with a great deal of sympathy and empathy um, but from second thoughts perspective for example uh, the economic damage is because we are not, it is not our livelihood, is likely to be less. And do, do, does that give us a little bit of hope for our survival? Well, I think certainly financially the group can survive for a very long time. Its overheads are very low indeed. It's standing overheads. And we have considerable cash reserves, partly because um, from the time I returned to the chair in 2014, uh, we, uh, we realised that uh, had we carried on the way we were going, we would have run out of money after about three or four years. Uh, and I didn't want that kind of pressure to be on the group. Uh, and secondly, that first with Bernard Hall and subsequently with Amanda Laidler, our marketing has been absolutely brilliant. So we've been getting much bigger audiences in. There was little or nothing we could do about our cost base. So the only other way we could survive was to increase our revenue. That's been then topped up by two very generous legacies from past members of Second Thoughts who've left money to the group. And I feel I owe it to them as well. Uh, I think we all do to, 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 to keep the group going. Um, and I do think that financially... We're in a strong position. We've got secure storage of all of our stuff. Uh, we have to pay a small amount of rent for part of that storage, but it's not a lot of money. Um, and as long and, and the other thing which um, I hope, well, I, I'm, I'm hoping to hear at the annual general meeting in three weeks' time uh, is that uh, members who've paid their subscriptions for 2020 will automatically have that subscription extended to the end of 2021. Right. Um, so that, you know, I, I think it's quite wrong to take a subscription off people and then after three months say, well, sorry, chaps, we've got to shut down. Um, and I, I'm pretty sure our present chairman thinks the same way. So I, so I think the immediate future is um, going to be bound up with, uh, as we are doing, um, 
running sessions, to, uh, we, we call in the director's calls, but anybody can attend, really just looking at the way that we, possibilities of doing theatre. I know that you and Angela Dandy have, have got some uh, things lined up for this forthcoming Sunday. And it's certainly a programme which Jane and I are, are quite determined to keep going. And I think it helps to keep the group together. Um, I also think that uh, there's been one or two other initiatives like play readings that you, you've initiated, play readings that Stacey Warner has initiated. Um, and these, again, will keep us going through these dark times. And it will not last forever. Um, you know, we, sooner or later, an effective vaccine will be found for this dreadful thing. And sooner or later, it will, the vaccine will work its way through the population. Uh, and we will be able to look forward to a, a brighter future. And but I do indeed do have a programme uh, oh, yeah. kind of go next uh, year, don't yeah. they? Yeah, that's been agreed. I mean, what we've basically done is we've held over two of our three shows that we were going to do in 2020 uh, and, and added one more in. Um, and we can be reasonably light on our feet around those in terms of staging and, and, and so forth. Uh, a lot of it is going to depend very heavily on, on getting a performance venue um, at, at a time that we uh, are able to perform. Um, obviously, the Bear Pit would have been our hosts for the rest of the 2020 programme. Uh, in fact, I think it, we would have been doing our last show next week uh, in the Bear Pit. And I very much hope that the Bear Pit will be able to welcome us back um, in 2021. Uh, but a lot will depend. I mean, very heavily, you know, we've heard today, you know, we've been told to expect current restrictions to last for six months. And one of the other because of the issues is tempting our audience out back into a confined theatre space to, uh, to watch productions uh, when COVID is still around. But I hope that also the future will uh, continue to um, see the cooperation between the various groups in town. Uh, I think that is better now than it, it, it certainly was in the early stages. And it's um, vital, isn't it? It's, you know, particularly oh, it is, absolutely. Yeah, into yeah it is. Yeah. And working together on things. Precisely, and the more that we can help, you know, you mentioned the bear pit, which, 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 which obviously is, well, I mean, it's per, personal view, but it's I think it's pretty widely shared. It's one of the most magical spaces for theatre in in the world, I would claim. But uh, the more that the more that we can, the more the second thoughts. I say we, but everyone's a member of kind of sixteen other groups, aren't we? The more we can, the more we can look after. Each other's spaces and interests. The, the more likely it is that we'll have a, a a rosy future. I would have thought. Yeah, I think so. The other thing, of course, which plays into all of this, which has been pushed into the background with COVID, um, is the whole uh, climate change issue and where that's going, and and you know what things we may need to have to do in order to adapt in mm -hmm. some way, shape or form to that. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what that looks like because I haven't given a lot of thought to it, but we can't ignore mm -hmm. the fact that it is out there. There's no vaccine for that. <laughs> There's no vaccine for climate change, you're quite no, right. No, no, no. 
but a massive anyway, change in behaviour. So, so what? It, let's uh, we have to wrap up now. Yeah, of uh, course. And uh, sadly, but because you know, I mean, I'm hungry to. Uh, well, I'm a very, I'm a very pretentious chap in many ways. Um, but, but I, 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 I want to finish up where I started, really, which is that that. You know, as you were saying, and I, I would echo every single word you said about the, the, the importance of theatre in the life of, uh, in our lives, in my life, your life, and the lives of thousands of people in this town. Um, and the, the degree to which people commit themselves over and above mm. the huge personal traumas that are going on in their lives and the, you know, losses of jobs, losses of partners losses of family and so on and so on as well as the joyous things that come across people's individual terrains and yet we go on and have and have gone on for decades uh, possibly uh, hundreds of years in this area producing theater because we love it uh, i i think it's i think the future is i i I've, well i feel very I've no particular reason for feeling this, other than that, really, the evidence of one's own eyes that that mm. that that, um, it, that that will go on doing it and will, in the end, emerge stronger uh, for it. Yeah, no, I, I, I endorse that, and it's certainly very close to how I feel about. Uh, you know, it, it is, in a sense, it's almost therapeutic. You know, that, mm. that we, we 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 can put to one side all the problems that we've got and you know when you're on that stage with other actors and you're part of the team uh, or if you're in the wings uh, operating the lights or whatever the whole thing you know the, the everything goes on pause mm. so that you can deliver that mm. show to an audience and it is extraordinary and sometimes I mean I, I've been quite shocked at some of the things that have been going on in people's personal lives, and yet they're still mm. out there, um, you know, the, the old thing, smile, the heart is breaking. You know, they're actually out there delivering. Mm. Uh, and, and I think for a lot of us, you know, whatever problems, other problems have got in life, and I'm, I've been extraordinarily lucky in that mine have been relatively few, um, that, you know, being able to put everything else to one side, and the only thing that matters is getting that play, getting it right, getting it out there, getting the audience on board and communicating with them. Yeah, I mean, that that to me is uh, is what it's all about. Nothing like it. That's a good note to finish with. So, Ian, uh, thank you very much for doing this. I do appreciate it. And, and I hope you will uh, be able to do another chat later in the year. when Because uh, I, I, I hope, what I'd like to do really with these is to chat to people, um, you know, possibly two or three times over the, over the course of the future. But anyway, so suffice to say, um, one hopes that the next time we talk, our optimism will be realised, and I'm sure it will. But Ian, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, Graham. It really has. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Right.